You're listening to the Hamptons to Hollywood podcast, made possible by our friends at Hamptons Ham Poured. Summer is almost here, and there's no place we'd rather be than the Hamptons. Everything from the relaxed vibe to the sweet coastal air just exudes relaxation and fun. If a Hamptons trip isn't in the cards for you this summer, don't worry, we've got you covered. Not only can you see what's happening in the Hamptons on hamptons2hollywood.com, but you can also bring that sweet coastal sea air right to your own living room with a candle from Hamptons Ham Poured. Made locally in East Hampton, there's a scent for each of your favorite villages. The amazing smells will make you feel like you're summering in the Hamptons, even if you happen to be in Hollywood, Houston, or somewhere in between. And for all Hamptons to Hollywood podcast listeners, we're giving you $5 off every candle found at hamptonstohollywood.com. Go to hamptonstohollywood.com slash shop, pick your favorite scent, and use discount code CANDLE5 at checkout. hamptonstohollywood.com slash shop, pick your favorite candle, and use code CANDLE5 to get $5 off. Hey guys, it's me again, Kyle Langan, founder of hamptonstohollywood.com. The Hamptons to Hollywood podcast is all about bringing to light the people, places, and casually luxurious culture of the Hamptons and Los Angeles. On today's podcast, I'm talking to Ron Gorler, who runs the Jamesport Vineyard, which is an amazing winery on the North Fork of Long Island. Ron is incredibly knowledgeable about all things wine, is passionate about sustainability, and has that distinct Long Island charm that's impossible to resist. I learned a ton about winemaking on Long Island, and I think you'll love our conversation today. You can check out my entire adventure at Jamesport Vineyards in our latest blog post. But for now, here's Ron. Yeah, so Ron, thanks for sitting down yeah. with me. <laughs> um, so yeah, you were just saying, so the this started in 1986, right, James? Um, the, yes, the, the, we, we purchased the property. My father and mother purchased the property in 1986, but we actually came out prior to that. My father was always coming out to the North Fork as a kid as well as, as, an, as an adult, um, and we would stay over in Cutchogue in Nassau Point. Okay. And then um, in 1981, or 80, the winter of 80, my parents came out here, and they actually... Uh, drove past the place that they had always driven past on their way to Nassau Point. Um, my grandmother had passed away, and they decided that they wanted to make a change and, and move out here. Yeah. Um, so they sold the house in Nassau Point, and they literally knocked on the door where we currently are um, on Cox Lane, and uh, said, "Would you like to sell the farm?" The gentleman said yes, wow. and in 1981, that that winter, uh, January, they they signed the contract. Wow. Um, so it, at the time, it was a 60-acre farm. Um, it had apples and peaches on it. Um, my dad always wanted to own a farm. My dad is not a farmer. Right. <laughs> uh, he's in the plumbing manufacturing business. Oh, okay. um, and so that's been in the business for about 125 years. Wow. Uh, my grandfather started that business. Wow. Um, so my dad is an entrepreneur, always got himself into things. Uh, the wine industry has just started to blossom out here. It obviously started with the Hargraves um, back in 73. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted to be a part of it. So we came out here, we were number five, you know, the, the early ones get the number themselves because yeah. they were, you know, the pioneers. And so that when you're a pioneer, meaning you don't know what you're doing, you know, you're, you're trying to figure it out because it really was only four or five of us at the time. And then we all were learning from each other, made homemade wine, but this was the next step was buying land to plant grapes to yeah. eventually make wine. And so that's how we came here in Jamesport was this place was the North Fork Winery, um, it had uh, not done well, and so it was put into bankruptcy. Okay. Um, we bought the place in an auction, 
Um, and it was a little spirited auction because there were a lot of people wanting to have this location because it was one of the first uh, stops on the North Fork. Most of the vineyards were located in Kutchog at the time with Lenz and Pindar and Bedell. Right, right, um, right. And my, fa- my father felt that he wanted to be this way. He did not want to be at the farm with the winery. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to be separated from that. Um, and so, you know, the, the neat thing about that, my dad's vision on that is that today there's about 10 wineries right here in Jamesport and Aquabog, and it, it's kind of a little uh, destination in its own, and it's how it's, it's translated. Um, but we did not know how to make wine, and uh, I grew up drinking wine with my father and mother, but we were not winemakers, we weren't generations of, you know, vineyard owners and stuff, and so... Yeah. We planted grapes, we'd come out on the weekends, uh, lived in Oyster Bay, we'd come out and we'd work on Saturday and Sunday and go home Monday. I mean, that was the routine for many, many years and, until we decided that we wanted to jump in fully into the, into the wine business. Um, and like most wineries, they struggled in the beginning because yeah. of the, uh, there was not the tourism base, there was not the consumer base that was demanding Long Island wines. Right. So how did you figure out how to make the wine? Um, a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to emulate or, you know, say, okay, I love Napa or I love Bordeaux or, you know, whatever region you think you, you want to emulate. And then you have to figure out the varieties that you want to plant. So like most of us, we planted Chardonnay and we planted Cab Sauv, right? Mm-hmm. So those were the hot topics back in the early 80s. Everybody was, you know, doing Cab Sauv and Chardonnay around the world. And, and so I, I think the challenge was finding out what else could we make here. We yeah. know, we're a brand new industry. What grows well here? There's 5,000 varieties around the world. What grows well um, right. on the North Fork of Long Island? It is a maritime climate, so it is a little bit difficult in the sense that you know you have to figure out what grapes are going to grow in a high humidity um, environment and and uh, you know around salt water. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there are a lot of regions in the world that do do that. Bordeaux was one of them, and, and so I think that's always the challenge: is what variety is going to do best. Yeah. Um, you know, looking back, Cab Sauv was probably not the first choice for us. It was Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. Um, and yeah, uh, we felt that Sauvignon Blanc was just a natural because of the maritime climate, good acidity. Um, it was not Chardonnay, anything but Chardonnay, yeah. you know, and that, that happened in the 90s. Right. Um, and, and so, and today there's just, there's more, more Sauvignon Blanc uh, being planted on a continual basis because it is really a great food style wine. Yeah, it goes with a lot of stuff. Yeah. What, is, what are you guys known for here? I mean, Sauvignon Blanc, we went in with that originally. That was one of the original plantings. We did plant, you know, other varieties, Merlot and Pinot Noir and Riesling. And, and, and so I, I think it's always hard to pinpoint the trends, but you try to hit yeah. that a little bit on the high note, rather. Um, Sauvignon Blanc is uh, always the, the least planted in the United States. A lot of people have a hard time identifying with it because they don't know what it is, right? Oh. And, they, and they know Chardonnay. Yeah, no Cab Sauv. Right, and you know, but now because of New Zealand, Sauvignon Blanc is mainstream. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, it was never that way. It's still the least planted grape in California, believe it or not. Oh. Um, you know, Chardonnay and Cab are the king, and then Merlot and Pinot Noir, and then right. Sauvignon Blanc under that. Um, you guys have a really good Riesling here. That yeah. like that the one that's not sweet. Yep. I was you get scared when you hear Riesling if you don't like sweet wine. Well, you think of Blue Nun. I grew up with Blue Nun. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, sweet, and that's the way the Germans make it. You yeah. Know, they made it sweet, and you know, dry Rieslings are obviously the Finger Lakes do a great job with Riesling. But uh, you know, we, we we planted Riesling pretty early on. Um, we felt once again it was a hardy grape traveling to these different locations. You found that. You know, they do make, you know, the, the gamut from dry all the way up to the truck and barrel house lazen style, which was what we make also, which is the, you know, very late harvest style wines. And 
And so I think that's always the uh, trick with some of this stuff is finding varieties, but we're always experimenting with new varieties. We have uh, Muscat Atenel going in this year. We have um, uh, Lagrine, which is a Northern Italian red variety. Oh. Um, and we're putting in uh, Gewurztraminer. Um, you know, Gewurztraminer is one of those grapes that if you don't know it and you can't pronounce it, you're not going to go near it. <laughs> and that's the hard part about putting these some of these varieties in is, you know, we've got Alvarino in the ground, uh, which we planted about five years ago. And that's, you know, Alvarino is one of those varieties that's, you know, because of Spain is, you know, starting to explode out of there. And, People look for different alternatives. I, I think the generations look for different things. You know, yeah. the baby boomers are comfortable with what they know, and right. the Generation X is comfortable with everything they don't know. Right. So, that's true. you know, that's that's the marketing that you have to figure out about people. Yeah, for sure. Um, you were just saying earlier that you know you kind of need to find um, different vineyards or styles that you want to emulate. Emulate. Yeah. Um, what what kind of what was what's been the most influential for James Port? You know. Uh, the North Fork has come of age, you know, it's been here for 40 plus years now. And, you know, when I say emulate, not having an identity in the early beginning, not, you know, understanding the wine styles that come from here, you yeah. you tend to say, okay, if the market's making oaked Chardonnay, that's what we should do here. If the, if the, if the, if the, if the market wants big, jammy, fruity wines, that's what we should do. But eventually the, the terroir or, the, you know, the land that we're surrounded by here, dictates what you can and can't do yeah. and so that's the cool climate aspect that we have here we are in the cool climate zone um, we don't have uh, 80 90 degree days we're not california mm -hmm. um, so you have to get away from that eventually and say i can't do that yeah. don't want to do that because when you have delicate style wines that we have with good acidity and you know medium tannins to them if you put a lot of oak on them they tend to fall apart and that's what we learned the higher the pHs were and in the wines they, they didn't really do well in terms of aging yeah so a lot of the early stuff that we have found out that had was picked earlier and was um, didn't have a lot of oak they're really holding up meaning you know we always hold wines back to taste and evaluate you know where they are 20 30 years from now and you know, like most regions that's what it takes time for that to happen yeah um, we're at that point now where we're 40 years into this and you know we the earliest bottling I do have is a 1982 Sauvignon Blanc, believe it or not. Oh. Um, and and it's, I, I look at it, and there's only six bottles in, in, in the cellar, and I say, okay, so when is this wine, how long can it go, and you know, yeah. and has it passed its peak? You don't know until you pop the cork. Yeah. What so to answer sorry, your question, yeah. um, you know, I, I always look at, at Bordeaux or the Loire Valley and, okay. and France for, in terms of, you know, parallels looking across, you know, the geological, you know, things, uh, you know, longitude, latitude. Where are we? Uh, where are we? And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, globalization is changing all of that because <laughs> it's getting hotter in certain areas and cooler in other areas. Right. Um, but, you know, Bordeaux has always been, you know, similar to what we are because of the river, because of the Atlantic Ocean influence that it has a Loire is the same thing and so I, I still think those style of wines for me are uh, you know really the wines that are similar in characteristics yeah. and so how many acres are, are in or cumulative it's what 60 60, okay. 60 total acres um, here in Jamesport is four where the winery we would do the processing we have the tasting room set up and then in Mattituck, we have another 10 acres, which is about five miles from here. And then Cutchrug, where the main farm is, uh, there's a total of 60 uh, acres there, but about 40 is planted. Okay. Yeah. And then why did you want to, um, I mean, I guess like seeing your dad, that must have been yeah. like start this kind of business. It must have been really uh, exciting for you, right? I mean, what made you kind of want to 
pursue it? I think when somebody, when you're a pioneer, you want to be on the ground level. Um, there's an old saying: if you're a pioneer, you're going to pay twice, <laughs> and that's the you know because you're, you're going to make the mistakes along the way. And, yeah. and, and so we made a lot of mistakes, and and, and you know you, you learn from those mistakes what not to do, obviously, because in the winemaking there's a sharp curve, and if you go off the curve too quickly, you know you tend to be out of the business pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, in terms of financials that go into it, um, you know, you, you, I've always been a attached to the earth I went to school for ag sciences um, and so that's always been my driving force is the vineyard side of it because the vineyard is what makes the wine um, yeah a lot of people might think differently but you know you have a great winemaker you have a great winery all these wonderful things but it comes down to the grapes right and then so that gets back to the choice of grapes the varieties that you pick and you know what do you want to be and what do you want to you know see in the future um, and, and I think that's always the challenge to this business is that you have to be satisfied at some point with what you're doing, but yet never fully satisfied because what, what is the next? You can't look ahead. Yeah, yeah, you have to be looking ahead. We, we always look two years ahead in terms of um, production, in terms of you know, what is, you know, from a barrel ordering standpoint, from inventory standpoint, you're always a little bit two years ahead. Don't worry, we'll be right back. Summer is almost here, and there's no place we'd rather be than the Hamptons. Everything from the relaxed vibe to the sweet coastal air just exudes relaxation and fun. If a Hamptons trip isn't in the cards for you this summer, don't worry, we've got you covered. Not only can you see what's happening in the Hamptons on hamptons2hollywood.com, but you can also bring that sweet coastal sea air right to your own living room with a candle from Hamptons Ham Poured. Made locally in East Hampton, there's a scent for each of your favorite villages. The amazing smells will make you feel like you're summering in the Hamptons, even if you happen to be in Hollywood, Houston, or somewhere in between. And for all Hamptons to Hollywood podcast listeners, we're giving you $5 off every candle found at hamptonstohollywood.com. Go to hamptonstohollywood.com slash shop, pick your favorite scent, and use discount code CANDLE5 at checkout. hamptonstohollywood.com slash shop, pick your favorite candle, and use code CANDLE5 to get $5 off. Yeah, um, and you're keeping it. Are your kids? I have four children. Um, they're all uh, have been engaged at some level. Two of them are out of the house. They have careers, and you know they come back and help from time to time. Um, which you know you want them to follow their path. Mm -hmm. um, I have one daughter with me now, uh, who's Sarah, who's you know working in the hospitality side of things, and and that's you know the path that she's looking to do. She's taking business management, uh, finishing up this year in college, yeah. and then I have a 15 year old who is starting at the you know the new level of what we're doing here with the food service and the kitchen aspect of it, and she's you know, working in the, in, on that side when it comes to serving people and, and things of that nature. So you have to get in the ground level yeah. uh, to understand the business. And that's always what I tell my children. I got into the bottom with my father, meaning we knew nothing. Right. And so we learned as, as the business grew what, you know, how we wanted it to perceive itself. And then now we're, we're taking this in another direction with the, with the house and the hospitality and, and, and the, now the, the kitchen going and, you know, it adds a different dimension to the business. Yeah, so just talking about that, I mean, it's a pretty business savvy like move to say, okay, well, we're not going to just do you know, you know, manufacture wines. We're now we're yeah. going to do a restaurant. And what was how long did that? What was that process? Um, for, how long was well, it? when you travel around the world, you see that there's different business models, and and you know the thing that always fascinated me is that food and wine always are a, a combination. You know, and you know, in order to appreciate wine, I think you have to have really good food, and in order to have really good food, I think you need good wine right. uh, they, they go hand in hand kind of 
And this region um, was a meat and potatoes region. And I say that potatoes were the big part of, you know, the driving force out here for many years, over 50,000 acres um, out here. Um, in the 80s, that industry crashed um, and then the vineyards started to move in. And, and so the culture was not there. And when I say culture is that the restaurants hadn't caught up to the wines and the wines hadn't caught up to the culture. Um, I just was over in Italy um, uh, over the winter and there's a culture there around the region. I was in Barolo and Barbaresco and it's the food, it's the wine, it's the people, it's, it's yeah. all of that meshing together. Um, 40 years young, it's hard for the, that old generation to transition to this generation that's here now. And, and so, you know, the, the uh, full circle for us is that we made wine, people came and tasted it, it was, you know, that was accepted, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then you see that people want a little more and then the entertainment moved in where there was music and then we did a little bit more with, you know, pairings of food at the winery and, and then... You know, the, the next step was us for, was for taking the house and, and having a place for people to stay while they're on the property. And then the next step was to have the food and the people and the wines marriage together. And, and that, that's, that takes time to do that because it, it's changing the mentality of the area that we're in yeah. to understanding that there is a different culture out there. Right. There, yeah, there is a culture. And I mean, you've made this like a destination, like now with this amazing you know what would you call this uh well we call it a uh, a b and c uh bed and coffee you know, <laughs> so, you know once the kitchen is developed we will be able to obviously get it to that b and b level and, and where we're able to give people food and that's the ultimate goal with the kitchen is to really marriage the food that's from this area and use the local farmers and things and and we're gonna have a wood-fired oven so that when people are on the premise we can you know have that aspect of it we don't you know we're not gonna have a, a standard kitchen here it's gonna be strictly a wood-fired oven uh, yeah. setup um, cool. and so we're gonna be cooking with the fire and that's gonna be the, the fun part of it and you know the oven you know gets up to a very high temperature and it, you know you can do lots of things with those high temperatures if you understand it yeah um, and, and so I think that's the you know the, the culture that we talk about with, with what we've created here on this piece of property and you know we're, we've been fortunate that the towns have allowed us to, to take it to this level um, and I think that's always the hard part about change is that towns don't want a lot of change if it's gonna impact the community or sometimes. disrupt yeah, disrupt yeah. and you know the wine business has brought economic boom to the North Fork and it has brought prosperity here in terms of land values for people um, and it's really saved the North Fork because what's the alternative development right and you know that that can be happen anywhere mm -hmm. um, there's not many I've traveled a lot of places there's not many places where you're so connected to the water the Atlantic the, the bay the sound the city's two hours away so there's a lot of stuff happening there yeah. and, and people are wanting to be a part of a, a growing region and that's the fun part. We're, we're young, we're only 40 years young. Yeah. You go to other places like Italy or Germany or France, they're thousands, thousands of years <laughs> and you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a culture and that's what I mean. It's, it's, I'm a part of the beginning of this cultural change and that's the fun part. Are you afraid that something might, there might be too much, too much disruption on this, in this you know, area? Uh, I think that you know, it is a fragile area um, there are people that want to be here for different reasons. Um, it is an agricultural community, always has been an agricultural community. And, and so, you know, vineyards protect that. Yeah. They keep that alive. They keep farm families farming it. It's, it gets back to, you know, can we find the balance between the community and the people that want 
the change, meaning the, the cultural changes that are taking place with the wine and people coming to visit the area. You know, the big impact is, is there enough housing for people? Is there enough uh, of a destination for people to come and stay and enjoy? If you don't have that destination part where they can stay and enjoy, then what is it? It's a day trip. Yeah. And so it's very hard to create that culture. Right. Yeah, you're doing that so well. Like I said, yeah. this is amazing, amazing accommodations that yeah. you have here. Um, well, we want to preserve the future. You know, the house is 1854, and, and so it was either a knockdown and, and then lose that history or keep the history and, and make it a place where people can have the amenities that they look for today, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, having the ability to sit outside and relax and enjoy themselves. And I think that's the hard part for us is that to get people to unwind a little bit. And so that's why we've designed the place the way we're designing it, so they can come here and enjoy themselves rather than be, feel that pressure and anxieties of the daily things that go on. Yeah. Um, what do you? Ha- what's coming up for Jamesport this this summer? Um, the big thing is the kitchen going in. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been working on that for quite a long time in terms of the process of getting it done properly. Um, but you know, people are excited. The fact that it's going to be permanent. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, Nighttime also, which oh, is wow. something different for us. Uh, we normally shut down uh, at the end of the day and the winery goes to sleep and then we get up in the morning and start it all over. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be adding a different dynamic where people are going to be able to come here at nighttime. They are going to be able to be on the property, enjoying themselves in a winery setting, you know, and, and that's really what you're trying to do is marriage that that lifestyle you know, change that's coming on, going on out here because not everybody can be here during the day. Right. And, and so you want to be able to have that feeling of people coming to a place and enjoying great wine and getting great food at the same time. That's awesome. And so if people, and you also do a wine club, right? So you do, yes. you do deliver, do you do? Yep, we do, do uh, direct delivery. Um, we, uh, it goes out once a month. Uh, it's two bottle minimum, six month commitment. And that's uh, a great way for people who can't get here all the time right. to have that shipped directly to them. Um, you know, that's a, it's a big part of the business in the sense that it, it, it's a way, it's another avenue for people to still be a part of Jamesport. Right. And now with the food going in, we're going to be adding a wine and food package uh, set up so that people who can come here or can get here once a year or twice a year, they're, they're able to take advantage of the fact that we have this set up on the property this way. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you one more thing. So you're, you're big on... Uh, sustainability because of like you said you studied agriculture and stuff can you just speak a little bit to to that and why it's important Um, yeah you know sustainability is a funny word you know people think a lot of different things about sustainability but it means one thing profitability (laughs) if you're not sustainable you're not profitable if you're not profitable you're not sustainable (laughs) and and, and that's the hard part you know sustainable is obviously the environment it's the impact and, and you know there's that side of it and you know there's the um, there's, a, there's a movement today around the world, obviously, for less impact on, on, on the groundwaters and, and the earth and, and things of that nature. And I, I know as a, from a farming standpoint, I don't want to have to put anything out there because, number one, it costs money. And number two, it, it potentially does affect the quality long term of the, of the soil that we're working with. And you know, there's been a lot of studies on that that, you know, Matt, long time use of certain things creates problems and mm. it's like us taking aspirins all the time and the pain doesn't go away it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and keep popping more and more aspirins right yeah so ipm integrated pest management is a program that's available throughout the united states 
And so what that is, it's, it's a way to look at the farm, um, figure out what it is, you know, whether it's disease, insects, or um, weed species, and how to balance that, and, and, and what is it that you're really trying to accomplish. And less impact means better quality in the long run in terms of uh, the quality of the wine because you're putting less things into it yeah. because you want to allow the fruit to express itself. And so the more stuff you mix and play with, the more you take away from what the fruit was really supposed to taste like. And, right. and so I, we learned early on that we, you know, we want to let the land rest. We want to allow the land to have um, proper nutrients. Um, we do crop rotations. Uh, we scout the vineyards looking for problems. And uh, we try to use the least amount of pesticides as possible because, once again, it's an expense. And it's something that we really don't want to put on the fruit um, mm-hmm. if we don't have to. We do live in a maritime climate, so that's always the challenge is the humidity. And the humidity is our biggest uh, foe in the sense that it, it creates disease pressure. And so yeah. the, the vines are very susceptible to powdery mildew or downy mildew. And, and so in a perfect world, we don't have to do anything. Yeah. Um, that would be the perfect world. But that's, you know, it's, every region faces some kind of thing that they've got to deal with. Um, we don't have dry humidity here. <laughs> California has a lot of that. And so they have very little impacts. They have to get away with very few sprays on, in mm-hmm. terms of what they're trying to do. Um, the good news for us is that there is an, um, a sustainable movement here. There's about 25 vineyards a part of that. And once again, they, they, we meet on a, an annual basis to try and discuss things of how we can figure out better ways to manage the, the fruit that we're dealing with. Because yeah. obviously it's the consumer who ultimately is impacted by all this. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down yeah, with great. me and yeah. for inviting me here. This is amazing. Um, it's great to experience something like, like this on the North Fork and yeah. be a part of the, the culture that you're trying to create. 